Welcome to Kara Live. Long time no speak. It's election season, so how could I remain silent? Apparently, some of you have missed me because I've received emails and calls on when I would ever do a Kara Live again. So here we go. Uh, Let's get the preliminary stuff out of the way. If you want to join the conversation, call 563. Three nine 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 three six two seven. Again, the call in number is five six three nine 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 three six two seven. On Twitter, I'm Caroline. For this conversation, use the hashtag Caroline. Follow on Facebook and Instagram at Caroline. So tonight we're talking politics. And um, my guest is Scott Lindsay. He's the senior advisor for the Tennessee Democratic gubernatorial candidate, Carl Deans. His Twitter handle, his Twitter handle is SBLindsay, the number one. Again, his handle is S is in Sam, B is in boy, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, number one. So, okay, all right, so now that I got that stuff out of the way. So there's so much to unpack in this discussion. The midterms are heating up, and each candidate is making their closing argument. But as Tim O'Neill used to say, all politics is local. So let's start with the state of Tennessee, then national. So so first, let's talk about Karen Cardi. Well, thank you, uh, Kara, for giving me. Uh, me this opportunity to to speak to you and and to be on your show and on your platform. Uh, yes, I am here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a senior advisor for Carl Dean for governor. Carl Dean was the former mayor of Nashville, two-term uh, mayor of Nashville, and uh, prior to that, he was the director of law for the Nashville city government. And prior to that, he was actually Nashville's or Davidson County's uh, public defender. Here in Nashville, we have a metro form of government, so our city government and county government uh, is merged. It's all one, and it's been that way since uh, the 50s. And so uh, Carl Dean is a a moderate Democrat running for uh, governor here in the state of Tennessee on a platform of uh, uh, Medicaid, reform, uh, actually allowing Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, to receive Medicaid uh, dollars, uh, as uh, Virginia has just done and a couple of other states have done, because we have a lot of uh, hospital closures all throughout the rural parts of the state, because people don't have insurance and cannot 
uh, pay for the services that they receive at the hospital, and thus hospitals can't have reimbursement. They close. Uh, he's also running on a platform of uh, re- of investing more dollars into public education, uh, as he did when he was mayor of Nashville, where he increased uh, teachers' uh, salaries significantly and increased the budget for Metro Nashville public schools by 37%. And he's also running on a platform of economic development. I don't know if you've been to Nashville or if any of your listeners have been to Nashville, but in the 14 years that I've lived here, Nashville has really drastically changed. We have tons of uh, new industries coming here. We have condos and restaurants, and it's kind of become the it city of the South. Funny to me, this is funny to me, but to our tourism people, it's it's their cash cow. Nashville, for whatever reason, is the number one uh, destination for bridal uh, parties, bridal showers. As ladies are about to get married and they want to take one last trip with their girlfriends, they come to Nashville, and it is the hottest thing going here. So uh, we're running, and our opponent is a, a gentleman named Bill Lee who has never run for public office in his life. He runs a heating and air conditioning company. Uh, He's never run for uh, office ever, but he is a staunch Republican cut out of the Donald Trump mode and and, and basically stating Donald Trump-type things. I'm a businessman. I'm an outsider. I'm a conservative. Vote for me. And, you know, Tennessee historically has been a moderate state. Sometimes it tilts blue. Sometimes it tilts red. But since we haven't had a statewide win in quite some time, it, it, it tilts red. So you have a Democrat running uh, for governor in a state that is tilting red, and it's been, it's been a struggle for us. It's been a challenge. Uh, but we, we think we're going to pull this off. So I, I heard a couple of things in there that I, I want to, to address. So um, – Number one, I, I didn't know that this guy had never ran for office before, but is he also running at like the national candidates um, with the, um, I, I noticed that the Republican national candidates are using, you mentioned Medicare, so an insurance. Are they running, is he running on, I'm for pre-existing like the other candidates? I'm just trying to understand his, his total platform since this guy has never run before. What what Bill Lee's platform on uh, uh, Medicaid ex- expansion is? No, we're not going to have that. He's taking he's adopting the Washington D.C. Republican Party talking points to the letter. As you know, <laughs> really, when you take away Medicaid, r- really, the buzzword for that is Obamacare. And as you know, and probably your listeners know, when President Obama was in office, the Republicans fought and fought that. Uh, healthcare, uh, healthcare for all, tooth and nail. And so uh, what they said was that it was a runaway program. You can't reel in this cost, and, and we need to have the private sector to come up with ways to give everybody uh, good health care. And Bill Lee has adopted that position to the T. He has not strayed away from that as a talking point uh, in his campaign. What and the, the second part that I want to pull out is um, based on what you were saying about 
um, the state usually being uh, moderate and then swinging red. What is the polling currently looking like, and what is voter turnout? That has been those. The polling does not match what you see on the ground. Um, huh. To kind of uh, go back with uh, answer you about the polling, the polling has us and has always had us trailing double digits to Bill Lee. Okay, but let's park that for a second. We had a very con- heavily contested Republican primary here where uh, Diane Black, who is a congresswoman here in Tennessee and a big uh, uh, supporter of Donald Trump, was seeking to become governor. And Diane, so Trump had Diane Black in there. Our current governor, Bill Haslam, close friend, uh, uh, Randy uh, – Okay, think of Randy's last name. But our governor's co- close friend um, was uh, was running, and then Bill Lee. And so a couple of candidates canceled each other out. But in the midst of that, the Republican primary had three times as much participation as the Democratic primary because the Democratic primary that uh, Carl Dean was in uh, just was not heavily contested. So you have three times as many Republican ballots uh, cast in the Diane Black, Randy Boyd, that was his name, Randy Boyd, and Bill Lee, and Beth Harwell, who's our Speaker of House. You have four powerhouse Republican candidates running, and they were running commercials all over the TV. So here's what ends up happening. You have three times more Republican ballots cast. So when you start <laughs> doing a sample for a poll, when you're starting to uh, – see how many people you need to sample for a poll, well, quite naturally, you're oversampling Republicans because you're going on the most recent data of those who participated in the election. So since Republicans participated at a three times higher rate, all of the polling models are getting three times more participation from Republicans and think that's an accurate poll. So it has us down double digits when prior to the primary – Carl Dean in head-to-head matchups with all of the Republican candidates prior to the uh, primary vote, he was leading them, or it was a close race. He he was leading Diane Black, he was reading, leading Randy Boyd, and Bill Lee was not even uh, polled. So I say all that to say this. These polls, in my opinion, are fake polls. Because when you look at the turnout on the ground, because that's the second question you asked, the turnout uh, in the eastern part of Tennessee, which is the more Republican part of the state, and it includes the two major cities, well, three major cities of Knoxville, where the University of Tennessee is, uh, Johnson City, which is close to the Virginia border, and my hometown of Chattanooga, which is in southeast Tennessee and near the Georgia border. Those are all the conservative parts of Tennessee. What we have done as a campaign is we have looked at who are the voters coming to these cities. And we can tell you that in both Knox County, where Knoxville is, and Hamilton County, where Chattanooga is, strong Democratic voters and strong Republican voters have canceled each other out, meaning we've had the same amount of people come to these polls. And the battleground now is between those who we cannot identify, those who, who are independents who may not have participated in the primary as a Republican uh, ballot puller or a Democratic ballot puller. So what ends up, what we're 
seeing is a neck-and-neck battle in East Tennessee, and if Democrats are in a stalemate in East Tennessee, that means they're leading in the state. So Mm. our turnout models are showing something far different from the polls. So either at the end of this race, either these polls are proved true and the Republicans will win, or a bunch of pollsters are going to lose their jobs. So we don't know which one (laughs) is the case at this point. That's interesting. And, you know, I I saw um, going back to turnout, I know the Democrats as a whole nationally are are, are motivated, the vote enthusiasm up, even with uh, young voters. And I saw a clip, I think it was yesterday, a day before yesterday, where the Parkland kids are, um, they have a bus. And they're taking, you know, other young adults to the polls. They have some system that they're using with um, Twitter and something else so they can they can effectively get those people out to vote. And I was just wondering, as you were talking about um, voter turnout and and the polls being a little different, what is the the young adult vote look like in Tennessee at this point? It is very interesting that you asked me that question uh, right now, because I was looking (laughs) in my uh, Facebook Today And I see where Nashville has uh, a lot of colleges in Nashville. Uh, we nickname ourselves the Athens of the South because we have so many colleges. And we have a lot of uh, historically black college and universities, HBCUs. We have Tennessee State here. We have Meharry Medical College here. We have American Baptist College here, which is a college for uh, those going into the ministry. Uh, and we have... Uh, uh, Fisk, which is a, a very uh, old upper crust uh, HBCU. I saw where t- uh, tomorrow Fisk is sponsoring a bus just like what you just described, going <laughs> uh, picking up students from Fisk and carrying them over to the main uh, election You're commission in to, and out just to vote. Okay, okay. Uh, what I was saying is that Fisk University is having a bus to take students over to the election commission to vote, just like what you described with the Parkland okay. kids. Um, so even my own uh, fraternity cap out beside the Murfreesboro alumni chapter, they're doing something very novel. They're having a party bus to the polls, you know, to make it fun. <laughs> and they're getting, they're having, you know, I was like, I need to get on that party bus. I may find my way to the party bus tomorrow. So there's no telling what they're going to have on this party bus. But they're doing a party bus to the polls. So there are all sorts of initiatives here in the state of Tennessee to get young people to the polls. That, that's a pretty creative idea. I mean, you, oh, you yeah. know, in a, in other, other states or other times, they have, you know, souls to the polls, people going right after church. But, yeah, the party bus is definitely effective for a younger uh, set to get them to the polls. So, Absolutely. Uh, so, um kind of segue in a little bit, but still in your state. So you guys have the Senate race between um, Marsha Blackburn and Phil Preston. Um, is there any impact on, I, I would assume this is on the outside looking in. I've never been a resident of Tennessee, but I would assume that that race would be a motivator for people to come out too. But, it is. It and, is the, and, and, Yes. <laughs> I'll let you elaborate if you want. I was going to say, I saw this, um, I saw the video posted with the young, I was going to say young lady. She's actually the person who did the videotape. It's probably going viral now. Um, 
with the other kids that had gone to uh, one of her events this past Sunday and was removed from the event. Um, I, I, in the video, from what I could tell, um, they were just sitting there waiting for the event to start and they approached and told that they needed to leave. There was no commotion or anything and uh, not really until they, you know, uh, had police to come in and handcuff them to take them out. So I, I would think, that, you know, for me personally, when I was watching it, it really affected me. So I'm wondering, you know, if that will have any impact. I, I noticed that they had a press conference about it. Um, but to me, hopefully that will also motivate since they were in their young, they were what, early twenties, I'm assuming. Um, yes. It would help, you know, get their people out to vote. Yes. Um, I actually met that young lady yesterday uh, at the polls, and I, I questioned her. I said, well, how did you, how did you get in? And, and really what she did, uh, what the Republicans do, uh, kind of what uh, Democrats used to do some 15 years ago, but I guess they're doing it now, is to get a head count and to motivate people to come to an event to see a politician. They give you a ticket, or they have to where you can get that ticket online because they're really trying to get a head count as to how many people are going to be at an event, and it also serves as a motivator to get you to the event because even though the event is free, we want you to get a ticket because that's a way to demonstrate you are committed to coming to this event. One of the challenges with any political campaign is to draw a crowd because uh, politicians still rank at, at the same level as used car salesmen. They're not very popular people. <laughs> so and that's in any party. That's in any party. So what this young lady did is she um, just went and got a ticket like anybody else could, like you or me could. And I think when she got there, the hypersensitive Blackburn uh, campaign people said, wait a minute, these are two young African-Americans. They don't have on any Make America Great hats. They could be troublemakers. So that's why they sent basically an individual who's no more than a bouncer to try to harass them to make them leave. Now, I tell you what's going to uh, happen on Sunday, and I was just in some meetings in Chattanooga. I just got back from Chattanooga and I'm back here home in Nashville. Uh, Donald J. Trump himself is coming on behalf of Marsha Blackburn to Chattanooga. And this is a sign that this race is very, very much in play, and right. uh, so he's coming. And so there will probably be a lot more of that situation because I know for sure there will be a lot of uh, Chattanoogans that will come into the UT uh, uh, Chattanooga uh, McKenzie Arena. It's right there on the UT Chattanooga campus to protest Trump. It's really not the best place for Trump to have uh, this event because you're having it on a college campus where people are more liberal thinking and more apt to protest. But setting that aside, you asked about the, the uh, Blackburn and Bredesen race. Yes, it has been a absolute dogfight. They have, uh, between Bredesen and Marsha Blackburn, uh, they have bought up all of the commercial time on every TV show on every channel. So when you cut on the TV, it's Marsha Blackburn with negative ads, followed by Bredesen with a negative ad, and it's on every single channel all the time. It's unreal, uh, the intensity level. And then here's what's happening to Bredesen's campaign. 
because we saw a poll recently that said Bredesen was up one, and then now there's some polls over in the paper uh, yesterday saying he was down five, but then again, it's, there's oversampling of Republicans. What has happened with the Bredesen campaign is all of his ads are geared towards, I will partner with Trump, or I actually sent National Guard people to the border. It's almost like he's trying to be a Republican. And it is enraging his base. You know, the base Democratic Party, but particularly uh, white females, are enraged with Bredesen and kind of more or less holding their nose voting for him because they don't want to vote, you know, they don't want Blackburn in, but he is alienating his his base, and we're going to see how this uh, is going to play out because the Republican uh, Senatorial Committee are running very nasty commercials that feature Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, uh, and uh, Maxine Waters, and Kamala Harris, and saying that an angry mob is coming for you. They want to impeach Kavanaugh. They want to impeach Trump. Phil Bredesen, and they want Phil Bredesen to join this angry mob. Those same commercials are running in Missouri for Claire McCaskill. And I read an article today to where a state representative in Missouri uh, named uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal, she's a state rep, and Claire McCaskill are going at it because Claire McCaskill uh, in some sort of commercial says she's not a crazy Democrat. And, and so some Democrats are taking issue with that. So the same commercials that are running in the red state of Missouri are running in the red state of Tennessee, and it's impacting it's, – it's making it hard for Bredesen to find footing and find some sort of consistent message to where his base can rally around him. So it remains to be seen – if he can get his base to rally around him and pull him out at the end here. That tells me he has the wrong advisors. And, and I say that because now that I'm looking at um, Stacey Abrams and um, Andrew Gillum, uh, Beto O'Rourke, and um, they're confronting that kind of stuff head on versus trying to be more center and, and being, uh, I guess, um, trying to accommodate the the um, what I guess what they think is the independents or the the Republicans that they think that they can sway over. I, I saw a, a clip with uh, Stacey Abrams was asked about um, her stance on gun rights. I assume that the question was targeted at her because they just thought that she was going to dance in the center. And she uh-huh. said, basically, you know, she's for gun. She, her her dad owns guns. She she shot a gun before, but then you know she outlined um, why again why she thought that um, some guns should be that it needs to be regulated. So even in the same with um, Andrew Gillum, I mean, he didn't hide away from the race card. He 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 targeted. He, he went for it and. and for it head on, addressing the the issue. So basically, I'm just saying that sounds like Breston's needs to uh, take a a chapter from either one of those particular candidates and try to figure out how to um, how to finesse his voters in Tennessee. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think where the gravy is for Democrats, and and all Democrats should understand this if they're going to run statewide races. 
and hopefully we'll be successful with the strategy we've used. When you look at the electorate of people who have come to the polls, for one thing we know for sure, they are either going to be male or they're going to be female. You know, <laughs> there's no other thing. They're going to be either male or female. So what you have to understand is this. In 2018 politics, the majority of people who vote are female. And we have a group within the uh, uh, our campaign called Core 54, and it's headed up by Ann Davis, who is Carl Dean's wife. And what it is, it's our specific voter outreach to women. Now, getting back to Bredesen, what Bredesen, what I would have done if I was advising the Bredesen campaign, I would say what you have to focus on where the Democrats are going to win this election is really with women, uh, and it's twofold, getting African-American women out because they've become the most dependable voters within the Democratic Party, getting African-American women voters out, and figuring out the messaging around white females. Because as you may know, Kara, white females at the end of the election, they supported Donald Trump. Right. They didn't support Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump won the white female vote, and I've always said this, and, and it, it, it kind of hurts me to say it because I'm a big Hillary Clinton fan, white females just didn't like her. They don't like Hillary, and they've not liked Hillary for a long time because there's a disconnect between white female and Hillary Clinton. If, if you talk to a white female about Hillary Clinton, they either love her or they hate her. And now I'm talking about some Democrats. So Trump well, won that. Stick a pen in Hillary Clinton because I was going to get to her. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll get, back to, we'll get back to Hillary. But my thing, back to the Bredesen campaign, which they should have been doing is seeing what does our messaging do for white females. Because if you get black females in your column and you get a significant majority of white females, then I wouldn't care about what the men do. Because that, at the end of the day, is going to carry you over the finish line. When you look at all of the stuff with uh, Barack Obama and his victories in every state that he won, at the end of the day, it was the female vote that carried him over. It was the female vote that, that helped him clobber Romney in Florida. You think, well, how did a black man beat you know, Mitt Romney in Florida? It was a female vote. It was a female vote. And Michelle Obama yeah, was a you, big you're part right. of that. I mean, Alabama is another example. With uh, absolutely, um, <laughs> uh, I it's funny you say that because uh, I'm heading to Georgia this weekend, and it's it's a it's a black female group, Higher Heights, and we're supporting, of course, Stacey Abrams and Lucy Macbeth. So um, you're right, and, and there's black women from around the country that'll be there to support her. So absolutely, um, so you're right. I, absolutely, I say right enough. <laughs> So, Absolutely. So if I were if I were Phil Bredesen, I would be looking at all black female organizations. I would make sure I was at uh, uh, Sigma Gamma Rho conferences, Delta conferences, Zeta conferences, AKA conferences, 100 Black Women conferences. I would have I would have one person assigned to African American Women Outreach. You know, and that's their job all day long is getting Bredesen information to all black females in the state of Tennessee, because if you can lock that down, 
Now you can leap over to your messaging with white women, and then you can just work that because there are going to be more women coming to the polls than men. That's just a truth. So let's segue to something that was to talk about the the national climate for a second and um, going back to what you were saying about the students um, locally that are having a bus. So um, one of the one of I guess one of the things that that's happening is I don't think it I know one of the things that's happening is the voter suppression. So you have the voter suppression issue happening with the Prairie State students in, De- in Texas. You have um, malfunctioning voting machines, my understanding, in Texas, where people are going in to vote, and the machine is saying one candidate, they vote for a Democratic candidate, but the machine says the Republican candidate, and they don't know if they can they, they say they can't fix it before the actual election day, and the voters that the votes that have been miscounted, um, they don't know if they'll be able to um, to fix that. And then you got the thing in Georgia with the exact match policy and holding of absentee ballots. So, um, what do you? I, I probably know the answer, but what do you attribute to what's happening around the country? Um, as far as the voter voter suppression efforts are concerned? My overriding thought about that is this. Um, You know, sometimes I use a lot of sports analogies with things because that's just a, a way for me to process explaining things better. But when it comes to voter suppression, here's what progressives, liberals, Democrats, I always see with voter suppression. It's always us playing defense and not playing offense. And by what I, by that, I mean we're always reacting to something. We're always uh. react as if we are surprised. Oh, my God, the, the ballots are not right. Oh, my God, the, they're not letting people who are registered actually vote. Oh, my God, I can't believe the dastardly Republicans would do this. Stop being naive. Voter suppression has been going on since the time when Women could vote, and when African Americans could could vote, that has been going on. So what you really need to be is more proactive, and by that I mean every campaign, uh, every party, every state party needs to have a voter suppression team, and they need to be meeting year-round, and they need to be talking about the new ways of suppressing the vote. And what is the workflow to get out of that? And they need to get in front of the media before this happens. And they need to say, our voter suppression team has been formed. There have not been any incidents at this time, but we're wanting to make the public aware of the following. And we're going to be meeting with election commissions across the state, and we're going to be discussing the following. You need to do that head-on, aggressively, because all voter suppression tactics that are done – are done in the heat of the campaign to sneak the voter suppression by. Okay. Uh, and so you need to you need to head that off. You need to head that off and be aggressive. And Democrats just have not uh not been able to do that. The National Democratic Party, as it is a year round party and it raises money year round and has different departments, it needs to have a voter suppression department. Um 
engage year-round to come to different state parties and advise them on the new tactics, on the new things. And uh, to kind of wrap up this conversation, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman in Montgomery, Alabama. His name is Morris Dees. And Morris oh, yeah. Dees is, is head of the Southern Poverty uh, Law Firm. And all Morris Dees has done his entire career and has turned it into a nonprofit is analyze, research, and study new tactics of racism and Ku Klux Klan movement to the United States. And Morris Dees is thinking about that all the time. That's why I send Morris Dees uh, 100 bucks to 200 bucks a year. Because what he's doing, he's thinking about how to stop the Klan year-round. And doggone it, Morris Dees by himself has almost beat the Klan back into non-existence. Now, they kind of come back out with Trump, but he bankrupts him. So now let me go back to the Democratic Party conversation. You need to have a team, a law firm or a team, thinking about voter suppression every day of the year, and so you're not surprised by what you see, and you can stop it before it happens. That's a great idea, and it, the the unfortunate part is I don't think the DNC has thought about that. No, they haven't. That's what my that's why I'm frustrated with them because we know voter suppression in these hot races is going to happen because the linchpin of the Democratic Party's uh, strategy when we get into get out the vote, and you would be familiar with that. I I don't know if all your listeners would be, but you know there's that period of time. We're in it right now to where you're not uh, persuading voters. You're not saying, hey, Sally, vote for me. I can do A, B, C, D. You're not talking about that. You're only talking to your base to get your base to come to vote. So while Democrats are thinking about get out the vote, Republicans are thinking about how to suppress the vote. Yeah, because they and, and they've also figured out, which is one of the reasons that everyone needs to get out to vote, because you still have the obstacle in many um, districts of the gerrymandering um, that they did. So the, the, the vote is so somewhat in their favor, but you can overcome that if folks just go out to vote, which is unfortunate Absolutely. that you have to think that way. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's another form of um, oppressing, um, suppressing the vote. Absolutely. And it's a strategy. Republicans, whereas we Democrats are, are, are progressive uh, folks are surprised and appalled that these dastardly Republicans would do this to us, and we're having to get over the shock. You know, it's almost kind of like uh, if you were arguing with someone and they just hauled off and slapped you in the face, and you didn't expect them to slap you in the face. You're like, oh my God, I'm shocked. That's so wrong. They slapped me in the face. That's what the Republicans do with this suppression. They slap you in the face, whereas you need to be thinking about, you know what? This person would probably slap me in the face. I'm going to slap them in the face first before they even do that. You have to have that kind of mentality when it comes to protecting the vote because the Republicans, part of their strategy always is to suppress the vote. That's part of their strategy. Um, so let me give out the call number again. If anyone has any questions or any comments, feel free to call at 563 999 Three six two seven. Again, the number is five six three nine 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 three six two seven. So, going back to um, what you were saying about the the um, numbers and the polls um, in Tennessee, so I want to 
bring that to the national um, level for the midterms. So it's my understanding that Trump's base is about 30%. And I'm not sure if he's drawing any new supporters. I mean, my guess would be that it's still just a 30%, but he's he's alienated women, um, Jews in the last week with the national statement, um, Muslims. uh, He's insulted um, uh, uh, people with disabilities, the gold star gold star families uh african americans the optics are not good in the white house altogether with um the number of people or the number of staffers who have left uh the nfl protests uh what else the the um the asshole statement of the africans um immigrants mexicans i mean the the, the list just goes <laughs> on right. right so i i i'm trying to parallel that with the the voter enthusiasm and the um, political engagement. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, does this work for him on Tuesday, Election Day? We're going to see. Or am I I've the always heard as far as the 30%? Because I, I, I don't always believe the polls either. We're, we're going to see. This will be a true test of what kind of influence Donald Trump has. Here's, here's what we're going to see. I've always hypothesized that Hillary Clinton, as much as I personally liked her, was a flawed candidate. And that all those groups that you mentioned, uh, we, if we were all in a room and we were getting ready to take on Donald Trump, the people who walked off, who walked out of the room and left us there, uh, not as armed and as equipped to fight Donald Trump, were white women. White women walked out on us. And I think white women walked out on us because they personally did not like Hillary, and they may have thought to themselves, if there's going to be a first woman as president, it damn sure won't be her. And I think they were very passionate about that, and I think by default, uh, Donald Trump got, and I'm going to be the first person to coin this, a fake landslide. I believe he got a fake landslide, and that was not a real landslide. That was more of a, I am not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. So what we're going to see this time is you have uh, well-funded, aggressive, fighting Democrats that are not named Hillary Clinton. And we're going to see what happens with those people. We're going to see if those people win. There have been three things that I've seen here in Tennessee uh, I, I call anecdotal evidence. Uh, one thing about being on a campaign is you eat a lot of bad food and I've gained and everybody else on the team is gaining weight. So I don't feel so bad that I've gained weight. But one of the things that we have been obsessed with is Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know if you have them up there on the East coast, but Krispy yes. Kreme donuts. So we're, I'm always forever going to buy Krispy Kreme donuts for an event. So I pull up at a Krispy Kreme donuts and the people who work in a Krispy Kreme donut place are working class people. You know, they're your hard working, they're working on an hourly wage. And I pulled up and I had my Carl Dean button on and I talked to a lady who's a checkout lady. She's a white female. And I pointed to my button and I said, we got to vote for this guy. And she gave me a thumbs up and she went to get my order. Then she came double back and said, you know what? Matter of fact, do you have another one of those buttons? I said, I sure do. And I handed her a button and she said, 
he's a Democrat, right? I said, he sure is. She said, good, because this year, and I've never done this before, a day in my life, I'm going to vote for every Democrat on that ballot, even if I don't like them. And then there was another lady in the Krispy Kreme that overheard our conversation said, yeah, give another white lady, give me one of those buttons too. Then there was a black man back there, give me one of those buttons too. And I said, this is all happening at a Krispy Kreme donut among working class people, and these were Donald Trump voters. I went to a gas station, and it was a white female working in that gas station. Same deal. Give me one of those buttons. I'm voting for every Democrat I can find on the ballot. I saw a white gentleman today in Chattanooga, preppy. He looked like he was a Republican. He saw my button. He pointed to it, thumbs up. So what I'm seeing is this on the ground. I'm seeing white people who are going to vote for Carl Dean, probably will vote for Bredesen, because they're fed up with Donald Trump, and they may have voted for a Democrat last time, but Hillary just wasn't the one. So we're going to see if Donald Trump's landslide was a fake landslide last time. Yeah, I, I saw, um, I think it was earlier today. So his his approval ratings for this week have dropped like four points. And I'm, you know me, because I'm, I'm always trying to analyze the the whys when somebody sees a stat like that. Because um, two weeks ago they were boasting about how his approval rating numbers were going up. So I was thinking, well, only th- things that have happened in the last week. And I'm thinking, which one, you know, had the most impact for the approval ratings to go down? Was it the um, the attempted domestic terrorists in Florida? the guy with the bombs, or was it um, the response yesterday because of the, when he went to Pittsburgh, but the city officials and the family said don't come um, because they were not equipped, I guess, for a presidential visit that quick. Um, Could it be the domestic terrorists in, um, I guess, Kentucky with the guy who went into Kroger's and, and shot two people? Or was it the fact that he called himself a nationalist? Or, or the fear tactic with the um, the caravan? Or was it what happened two weeks ago, his response to Saudi Arabia? I mean, there's always, for, for, this, for this president, there's always so many underlining things that are going on. And, it, and the, it's almost like the, the, the media cycle can't even keep up because there's so much happening one time. So I'm like, how does anyone decide, you know, um, I don't approve this week based on the number of things that are happening in the course of one week. Or is it a combination that is very of all? true. <laughs> and we, we won't, we won't know. And then the, the flip side of that coin is that is Donald Trump a voice for the voiceless and where, where uh, white people in this country and, you know, some very conservative black people, feel that I can't speak because the mob is going to get me and he speaks for what I really want to say. So all I got to do is really go vote for him. And it's like, I said it, you know, like I give you an example, uh, me personally, the TV show, Roseanne, obviously uh, Roseanne said some inappropriate things on Twitter and they kicked her off of her show. But if you separate Roseanne's behavior from the actual show, the actual show is a really good show. And you learn a lot about, uh, you know, through you learn through comedy, through the lenses of different people's eyes. Probably the most successful 
show in history about a racist was All in the Family featuring Archie Bunker. You may be old enough to remember that show. Uh, it was uh, it is it was a groundbreaking comedy, and I could actually watch All in the Family all day long, you know. And and Archie Bunker, the character, is a racist. So Roseanne on the Roseanne show gets kicked off of the show, and I personally didn't feel she should have been kicked off the show. Obviously, I didn't like her 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 comment on Twitter, uh, but I just say you you know you reprimand that person, you make that person positive, put them back on the show, but. Uh, the network caved in to the mob, I would call it a mob, and took her off the show. There are a lot of people in America that think, you know what, that was wrong. That went too far. And Trump is saying that something like that goes too far. Therefore, even though some, there are just some things I don't like about Trump, I like that he'll stand up for that and I'm going to vote for him. So we have to be open-minded to the fact, even though, Trump is, you know, distasteful in some regards, he still is a voice for the voiceless, much like in the African-American community. There are a lot of us that, you know what, somebody tells you, you know, Farrakhan's going to be here tomorrow. He's going to be at such and such. You ought to come down. There are a lot of people that go over there and see Farrakhan, okay? But Farrakhan says very mean and nasty things to Jews, about Jews. But there's some of us that will scrape that uh, part off of Farrakhan and go watch him. So I've always looked at people like Donald Trump as uh, for that person who's afraid of the mob shouting them down if they express their opinion about something, they exercise that opinion through voting for him. I just have to believe that there are more people who don't think like Trump than do think like Trump. Yeah, you you made some some valid points. Um, so so since um, we, we're in the Trump mode, it would need to segue to the future. Hopefully, the future. So going back to um, Hillary Clinton. So um, let me play. I have a clip of. Um, hope it's not the um, not too low, but I have a clip of what she said um, at a forum. I think it was the end of last week. Do you want to run again? No. Wait. No. It was a pause. Well, I, well, I'd like to be president. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I know, like you just said earlier, you you personally like Hillary Clinton. Um, I remember in 2007 we had a conversation on Caroline. You were a Clinton supporter, and I was an Obama supporter. Um, how do you feel about the her the possibilities of her running again? I think uh, because Hillary Clinton has been in the public eye so much. I mean, we're going on, I guess, almost thirty years. She's been in the public eye. Is it been yes. that that long? We're we're approaching thirty years. I think when a person's been in the public eye that long and they go up against a candidate that is weak. You know, I would still think Trump is weak. That you lost to, you lost twice, basically. You lost to Obama yes. once, and you lost to Trump. You lost to two people who were not in the public eye as much as you, because Obama definitely was not in the public eye as much as Hillary. He came out of nowhere to beat her, and a celebrity 
pitch man came out of nowhere to beat you. That just says you have to um, understand people don't want you. They don't want you. You know, that's, I mean, that's a hard, brutal statement for me to make. But uh, as we say uh, in the hood sometimes, you ain't got it like that, you know, and, and that's just the reality. It's interesting you, you put it that way because my my issue with um, Hillary Clinton um, the first time and the second time, there was a sense of entitlement to the job. Yeah. And that that bothered me a lot. It, it, I guess that the first thing that, that turned my, my oh, I shouldn't say turn anything, but raised my eyebrow was when um, during the Obama campaign and between her and Hillary, him and Hillary, um, when Bill made the comment during the South Carolina um, election that um, Obama's um, run was a fairy tale. And for, for me, that just said a whole lot. It, it, it could have said anything else. He, he he could be against whatever his policies are, but when he said the fairy tale comment and the comment that um, she had at the end when um, she wanted to continue to run because look what happened to Robert Kennedy, I was like, are you kidding me? So just just some I, I don't I just didn't get the the great vibes that maybe a lot of other people got. Um, at, for her as a candidate, um, I, I will admit I voted for her in the um, the general election as as a candidate for the Democrats. Um, but I I I don't want I I don't want her to run. I don't want her to consider running. <laughs> I, I, I would say, Hillary, don't put us know. don't put us all through that. Don't put us all through that. I agree. Uh, like, don't do it. Don't put Just us through don't that. Do it. Don't do it. Don't and, do it. And I don't think she will. I don't think she will. No, yeah, she's not going to do and, that. And I guess, I, I, for me, I guess my my reason I'm hesitating, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, she might run. In in 2007, I was um, at a an event, um, a very intimate event with someone from Tennessee. It was that she was doing a, um, a fundraiser for Harold Ford. And at the fundraiser, she was asked, was she planning to run? And she said, no. Well, majority of the people, there was maybe like uh, 30 people there. Yeah, maybe, yeah, about 30 people, 30 to 40 people there. And I I know, you know, because I started watching to see how they were going to lean. They all leaned towards Obama early because she already said she wasn't running. And then she turns around and then, you know, uh, two months, because that was like in October, November. Uh, a few months later, I think she she announced her run in February. Then she's running for office. I'm like, what was that about? So when I hear the the no, or I, I need to think about it or, or look at it after midterms, I'm like, oh God, that means you're probably gonna run. <laughs> it's, it's a scary. No, <laughs> I don't think she'll be able to get the funding because there'll be too many other Democrats. Uh, solid Democrats that are going to run as well. I mean, 
the the a new shiny and better and upgraded version of Hillary Clinton is Kamala Harris. You know, um, she's not Hillary would not beat Kamala Harris in a primary. Uh, I don't know if she would beat Cory Booker in a primary. She wouldn't beat Joe Biden in a primary. It's just a very it would be a very very tough primary uh, to get through. And then let's say uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, Beto O'Rourke decides, you know, if he doesn't win Texas, oh, you know, I'm going to run for president. Man, now you're, you're running up against something that looks like a JFK. You know, so it would be too steep a hill to climb. And then here's the thing, that, the hard dose of reality about Hillary Clinton. You were the favorite, a heavy favorite in two presidential races. And you went 0-2, and you were the favorite. Uh, nobody's going to invest money in your campaign because they're like, you were the favorite, and we invested in you twice, and you couldn't get it done. We're not doing that a third time. So so with that said, so what? who are your top three as of um, October 31st, 2018? Because I know that can change. <laughs> Yeah, that can change. Um, I'm going to say I would have to put in there at, at number one until he says no, uh, Joe Biden. I'd have to okay. put Joe Biden at, at number one. Number two, I would have to put Kamala Harris because there's just so much buzz around her. Uh, three, I'd have to put in there uh, Elizabeth Warren. And um, I'd have to put her in there. But, Duncan, i tell you who could be a surprise candidate, and it would tick the people of Florida off or either would excite them, if Andrew Gillum really, <laughs> really knocks them dead in Florida. That means he's won Florida. That means, uh, you know, I look at Drudge Report all the time, and the headline on Drudge Report two days in a row Gillum taunts Trump, you know, almost kind of, uh, you know, playing him as the uppity black. You know, he taunts Trump. And Gillum, at one point <laughs> during the campaign last week, went off script and was not talking about his opponent. He's Okay, Gillum's running for governor just like my guy's running for governor here in Tennessee. We never talk about Trump. I mean, that's just not even part of the equation for us. Gillum for uh, about a week and his talking points just went after Trump, and that is what the Democratic Party base is salivating for. They're salivating for a candidate that would go after Trump, and my God, if you put a black man who won Florida, if he wins Florida and he wins it handily, you're going to have all kind of people coming to him saying, you're going to be our guy. You're going to be our guy because we like your attitude. We like the fact you already got Florida in the bag, and, and you know, you can have somebody run Tallahassee while you get on the road. So something like that could come into play. I've heard some buzz like that, too, exactly like that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my, um, I agree with your, your number one. Because I, 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 I think um, Biden would be a great candidate. Um, you know, I've been pushing for Joe Kennedy the third, but I, I like haven't heard. 
I haven't heard any buzz about him. I did hear somebody said, and I hadn't been paying attention, I do follow him on Twitter, but apparently he's been making the rounds around the country. And um, he's been in Texas with Beto O'Rourke. Um, I don't know where else he's gone, but I, I can't remember what the other states are, but I know he's been making the rounds, but he's, and maybe that's a good thing that he's low key. Cause if he's planning to run, then um, you don't have all the, the um, conspiracy theory stuff to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think he's, I think he would be a great candidate. Um, I, I um, Harris and who was the other person you named? Um, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. I, I, I can't warm up to those two ladies for some reason. Um, I'm, I'm not a sampling of the country, but just me personally, I know um, my mother likes Warren. <laughs> so apparently she, she has an appeal to, to, I guess, a cross section of people. Um, I don't know who my, um, my next person would be. I like Beto O'Rourke. I like Andrew Gillum. <laughs> Uh, I would like to see them on a ticket together. Yeah, uh, I would like to see Andrew <laughs> Gillum because Andrew Gillum really is a is a, a combination of Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, and Muhammad Ali. Uh, <laughs> it's just such energy and 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 firepower. It's somebody the base can get behind quickly. The base would solidify around Andrew Gillum quickly uh you know he's been a mayor i mean it it gets no more grassroots than that when you've been a mayor so look at him as a dark horse candidate yeah he would definitely energize the party because i know that people are given to his campaign from around the country i follow him on um twitter and facebook too and i noticed that people will say you know i wish i could vote for you if I lived in Florida, when I lived in Florida, I would have voted for you. So I, I know he, he's, he's got, a, like you said, has a lot of energy, and he's bringing a lot of enthusiasm um, to Florida and, and actually um, nationally. His debates, I watched um, both debates last week, and, um, I mean, he squashed that guy. I, it, yeah, it was, did, the first debate, yeah, the, the one on C, mm-hmm. here's the interesting thing, the one on CNN I listened to, I was driving from uh, North Carolina back to Maryland. And um, I, so I couldn't see any body language or, or any facial expressions. And, um, you know, it, I was thinking, well, I hope this is not like the, um, the Nixon Kennedy debate where the people who listened to it on the radio thought Nixon won and the people who actually right. saw it. Kennedy was so as I'm as I'm listening, you know, I was like, I hope that it's not that type of effect. So the next day, I watched the actual debate on demand, and I was like, oh my god, you know, as I'm watching um, DeSantis' facial expressions and his body language, he just wasn't ready, and it was almost as if whoever advised him told him that uh, you just need to continue to attack um, Gillum. Call him Andrew, you know, belittle him basically, and um, you know he had all these little lines that I think he thought was going to um, throw him off his game. And I thought, apparently, you haven't watched Andrew Gillum in action before this debate, or you would know that he was right. going to be ready. <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah, I, 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 
I, I just thought that that was great in them, um, that it was, it was, it was a great debate. And you, like you said, it just shows who he is as a candidate. And I was also thinking too, if he doesn't run, he needs to do uh debate prep with whoever was going to run. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And let me throw another <laughs> equation at you that, that's a, another feather in Andrew Gillum's cap that no one's uh, looking at, but I, I look at it because one of a funny moment today on the campaign trail with my candidate, Carl Dean, we were in a, uh, a little famous uh, local restaurant in Chattanooga breakfast restaurant. And I was looking at what he ordered, what he was going to order to eat. And uh, part of this, he said, I'm going to have the breakfast special as part of the bre- breakfast special is grits. Now, my candidate, he's been the mayor of Nashville. He's lived in Nashville since 1978, but he was born in Massachusetts. I said, what if he's going to order grits? He ordered grits, and after he ordered the grits, I said, oh, you eat grits. And he said, yeah, of course I eat grits. And so now getting back to Andrew Gillum, I'm pretty sure Andrew Gillum eats grits. Eating grits is a southern thing, and one of the things that really helps Democrats and it can move the Democratic Party forward into the direction it needs to go, it needs to reconnect with the South. And to have a black man who's a Southern black man from not Miami, Florida, but Tallahassee, Florida, which is really Southern Georgia, to have somebody like that on the ticket could do wonders for the Democratic Party because you're uniting progressives, you're uniting African Americans and Southerners, and I think, you know, the reason Bill Clinton was so successful, he was a Southerner. And I think that's an important ingredient to uh, help uh, the Democratic Party overall by reconnecting to the South. Yes, and you brought up Bill Clinton. They both have that folksy type of their person Absolutely. in their personality. Both Absolutely. are very folksy in, in their um, presentation and how they deliver um, their their comments. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So an hour is up. It was so fast. It was so great. Thank you very much, Scott Lindsay. Uh, absolutely. And, um, it. yeah, it's, it's always fun. So I just want to tell everybody, if you um, missed the live broadcast or pieces of this at the very beginning, if you want to listen to it again, check it out on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, and Google Play, everywhere that there's a podcast, we're there. So, um, again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Scott Lindsay, for being a guest before um, Election Day. And I want to wish best regards to his candidate, Cardine, because they're going to bring it, as as uh, we were just speaking to Andrew Gillum, they're going to bring it home. <laughs> so, um, Absolutely. yes, let's just wish the Democrats the best. And thank you again very much, Scott. All right. Thank you. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.